save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you? I am fantastic. I was just telling you before we started the recording. Uh, just finished an intramural game. I'm a little winded. I'm a little gassed. But I think if it came down to it, we might be able to go against the men's basketball team. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a fair comparison. We'll get to them quite a bit today. I've got some thoughts. I have some thoughts, but for our quick highlights here and some stuff we don't normally talk about too much, JMU swim and dive. They're nine, two and one on the season. They are moving into the conference championship season. I think that's about three weeks away at this point. Men's tennis, they've started their season. They are two and one women's tennis is one and one on the year. So just a couple of quick updates there Um, in terms of football news. Keyshawn Moore was dismissed from the football team for a violation of team that rules. That was a big one. Not a, that was a big one. Not a lot of detail, um, but a promising freshman linebacker who played well in his first year will no longer be with the team. So a little bit of a blow there that we'll probably get more into as football season comes. A um, little surprising, but I guess basketball has really been the story of the last few weeks since we've had a podcast. And the women's team this weekend was really impressive. What did you see? Um, they're scary good. Coach O had a comment, though, today at the uh, O'Neill's Fan and Press Luncheon where he said, well, we're not really playing to beat Elon in January. Like, yeah, this win's good, but, like, <laughs> this isn't what we, we set out for this season with. But besides that, geez, did they just, just dominate them? I, I don't think there's another word. They held them to single digits single-digit scoring in three of the four quarters, outscored them in each quarter, and only allowed eight points and a half. That that isn't that doesn't happen. Yeah, it was an incredible game. 48-8 to eight at halftime, 82-30 to 30 final for the Dukes. Impressive performance all around. You are right. 
uh, with what Coach O'Regan said, where, you know, this isn't really what the team is is focused on. They're not trying to beat an Elon team that is significantly worse this year than they've been the last two seasons due to some players graduating and just losing talent. It's a team that beating them this year is less impressive. Beating them by 52 is a pretty big deal, but winning that game isn't isn't what JMU is dreaming of. Yeah, in the press conference post game with Charlotte Smith, the head coach of Elon, she said like this is a different team. Like we graduated out or lost so much of our talent that were our top contributors last season. This isn't the same Elon team that's won back to back. Yeah, they won back to back CA title. Like this isn't the same team. Right. Like, and and I, it was evident, and it's evident in their conference schedule. Co- I mean, conference record. But man, a fifty-point win, and that UNCW loss—it's kind of a blemish on their CAA record. But yeah. at the same time, I think this team is by far the best team in this conference. Yeah, I mean they're an interesting team too because they're fifteen-four, and I was looking through the numbers, and all fifteen of their wins are double-digit wins. Whew. And then their their four losses. Um, I think the one to Maryland was was obviously double digits. They kind of got killed there. But the other three are all, I believe, single-digit losses. You got a three-point loss to UNCW, a one-point loss to Wake Forest, which is a game they really should have won, and then the loss, seven-point loss to Hampton, which is a game they're up quite a bit and ended up losing. So, I mean, they could easily be 18-1 and one right now, which, of course, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But they could be 18-1 and one right now given the way that they've played. And I think this is – Probably the best team under O'Regan. I think they're really clicking too as as a unit. Oh yeah, by f- this is a team. I mean, they finally have a shooter to kind of take away some of the load of Kamaya, Lexi Barrier stepping up and is being the number two that we all expected her to be. This team is clicking on all cylinders. Kamaya is, I think, in my humble opinion, the far and away favorite for CAA Player of the Year because she's just. Not only is she putting up such great numbers, she's being so, so, so efficient. Exactly. And I think I'm really I'm glad you said that because I've heard a lot of talk the last few weeks where a lot of people are like, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kamai is the best in the CAA. It's like it's not really a limb. Like she's the best player yeah, in the like, conference at she, this point. She like, averages 18.2 points, which is a pretty solid number in – women's basketball she has three blocks on that i shouldn't have brought that up i could have said something better 5.2 <laughs> rebounds a game she's shooting yeah she's still 50 percent from the field 42 percent from three 76 from free throw um but like she's just doing so well and she's doing it in a limited amount of shots and when she's taking her shots she's hitting the shots it, it's just ungodly what she's doing yeah, they have so many good pieces, and she's clearly the leader of the team. And the, what you mentioned earlier, just the efficiency is what's really impressive. The 50% shooting, 76% from the free throw line, obviously not her best. And she's probably someone who shoots the ball well enough to be closer to 80, 85, even 90. But shooting 42% from three, she's been really efficient all year, rebounds well, plays great defense. She's a tremendous player all around and it allows other players to sort of open up their game. You look at players like Logan Reynolds, who has really benefited, not necessarily as a scorer, but she's got one of the best assist to turnover ratios in the second, country. I think yeah. she's second in the country. She's got 70 assists to 19 turnovers, which is just wild. So having someone like her at point guard's huge. 
You've got Kayla Cooper Williams who just broke the JMU blocks oh record. Gosh. And I mean, there's there's so many players on this team that are just tremendous. And Kayla's listed twice on the JMU women's basketball stats. That's how well she's playing. So just quite an impressive. Group oh my all gosh, around. she is. That's funny. One is just a single game, and the other one as yeah, I don't, I don't um, know. that's interesting. But she's just to Kayla Cooper Williams. Just she's broken the record she still has the rest of this season and all of next season i think she's right. going to set a record that will never be like I'll, I'll go out on a limb and talk in definites of the rest of time i don't think it'll ever be broken it's going to be so difficult to beat because you'd have to play significant minutes probably all four years and be you know one of the best shot blockers in the conference yeah. which is kind of hard to replicate and you would assume that kayla's only going to you know, continue to improve as a player. She might get get a little bit better the next year and a half in terms of how she's able to block shots and, and impact plays in the post. So just really impressive all around. I don't know that there's necessarily a glaring weakness with this team. I know I've been really I think the them. glaring weakness is their offense. And I know that's kind of seems counterintuitive, but they can go cold. They can get really stagnant on offense and just start missing their shots. And we've seen that a couple times through this season. Yeah, yeah, they've put up big numbers, but at the same time, they only scored 50 against George Washington, 56 against Winthrop, 49 against Wake Forest. Like, the, granted, their defense is really, 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 really good, and it doesn't matter if their offense is stagnant at times, but at the same time, that may hurt them down the road. Definitely. It seems like they've clicked a little bit yeah. recently, but some of that too is, is certainly the level of competition. It helps when you're playing teams that are below 500 compared to a team like Wake Forest out of the ACC. So yeah, I would agree with that, especially when they, when they turn the ball over a lot and they're missing shots, which they do do that from time to time. That's kind of going to be the Achilles heel yeah. of this team. But they have looked really, really solid. I've been impressed. I think they've got a good chance to, to win – the most, you know, the majority of the conference games moving forward, maybe one or two losses the rest of the way, depending on what happens. They could even run the table the way they're playing. I think they're running the table. I mean, maybe at Northeastern, they may have a little bit of difficulty. They have another game against Drexel. That might be a little bit of difficulty. But other than that, I think they're going to run this table. Yeah, it definitely looks like there'll be a team um, with a lot of expectations moving forward. And I think they'll probably be this favorite by a good margin going into the conference tournament would be my yeah. bet. So yeah, have we learned anything about this team that we didn't know coming into conference season? Do you feel like they should be more confident going the rest of the way? Do you think that there's there's still that shooting weakness? What do you feel I think what team? we've learned is that if Jackie Jackie Benitez, I had a bold prediction I remember right before conference play, I said <laughs> she is going to be in conference play, she's going to average more points than Kamaya. Or she's going to be the team's leading scorer in conference play. Well, boy, was I wrong. Um, I guess the conference really looked at a lot of film on Jackie because they've absolutely shut her down. However, um, I think that's their strength. I think that was – yeah. The learn through HCAA games, I lost my train of thought, 110%. Yeah. Good game like she hasn't for the last couple of games. I think – that it's she's cap- the team is capable of picking up that slack. Yeah, it's interesting with her because she's we talked about Kamaya's efficiency and 
and Jackie's pretty inefficient, at least in a lot of the recent games. She was five of 19 against the College of Charleston. She scored 12 points, but five of 19, two of 10 for three. And she took 19 shots in 19 minutes. So, I mean, she's someone that's really willing to shoot the ball kind of at all times. And it's crazy to think that she's doing that and they scored, I think it was 91 against yeah. the College of Charleston. So she didn't even have a good game, took 19 shots, missed 14 of them, and they still scored 91. I mean, if she's on just a little bit more, they're probably topping 100. He, and Coach so O said that about that's the William and Mary really interesting. game, too. She was kind of off during the William right. and Mary game. And in that one, they only scored, 60, only scored 65. But he was just like, if our offense is on in this game, if we're making our shots, because that was kind of an ugly game in terms of turnovers. Yeah. He was like, we're going to, this, this game's a comp- even more of a blowout. Exactly. Yeah. She was two of 10 in that game. And then she was a little bit better against Elon, six of 12, four of eight from three. So that's the kind of thing where she scored 16 points in 18 minutes on 12 shots. If she's able to do that, they have her playing at that level with Kamaya, with Lexi Barrier, with Kayla Cooper Williams, Devin Merritt, all those really talented players. I think this team is, is really special. And I don't think anybody is going to touch him in the conference tournament if Jackie Benitez is playing. Oh, yeah. Level. And you know what I really want to see in the conference tournament? Like, I really want to see. Please, what is it? Logan, pull up from three. Like, <laughs> I know that's not your game. I understand. But please. And they give her that's a ton of I'm space. Saying. Logan Reynolds has a, a ton of space when she's out there. But, no, yeah, she she picks and chooses quite a bit. She's just – okay filling up the stat sheet with everything else except points it's yeah, she's like. 17 of 42 on the season she's only taken 42 jump shots all year one three-pointer wild and she's got 11 blocks which is just very odd for someone which her size pretty impressive though. fourth on the team i believe behind yeah it goes kayla devin lexi her yep leads the team in steals leads the team in assists i mean she's she all over the place so- pesky yeah she's a really tough one hell of a player so yeah we've, we think the team's definitely improving they look good they're in a good spot something that i was interested in hearing your thoughts on sean o'regan took over for kenny brooks this is his third year now it seems like the program's really starting to hit its stride under o'regan do you think there's a chance that sean o'regan could be a better coach then so Brooks. I read this at first and I thought how blasphemous that you could even suggest <laughs> something like this. Cause at the time I was kind of like Kenny Brooks was an all-star here almost. But then I was looking at um, his first couple of years at the helm of JMU and starting in 2002, he was a semifinalist in the CAA tournament, which is what coach O did. He was a quarterfinalist. Um. Actually, no. Coach O had a better first year because he was technically runner-up. But just going right. down, Coach uh, Brooks did not win the CAA tournament, I believe, until 2005, 2000. No. They, they list this in a really, really weird way. It's season, comma, record, <laughs> comma, CAA tournament, comma, postseason. So he didn't. He didn't win the CAA until his one, two, three, four, five, six, eighth season. And knowing that information, um, I'm going to go with Coach O has the capability of being a better coach than Kenny Brooks. Kenny's doing great things down at Virginia Tech, but I think Coach O is is really going to leave his mark at JMU. 
I think he could easily – he will win the CAA this year, have a berth in the tournament, and maybe even get a first-round win. Yeah, I think that's the big thing that really stands out to me is that Kenny Brooks took him to the postseason a ton, but there weren't a ton of – I guess it was just one. I think it was one NCAA yes, tournament win. one. Out of so, one, two, three, four, five, six, six. Out of six opportunities. Yeah. Right, so they're, they're a bunch and just weren't as competitive as they wanted to be. Definitely a great program under Brooks. Really, really solid. I just think that what Sean O'Regan's doing, especially recruiting, I think he has a chance to make this a team that's capable of winning NCAA tournament games. You look at the team this season, they're playing really well. I think that if they get a favorable matchup, they're going to be competitive in that yeah. first-round NCAA tournament game, assuming they do get in and win the conference tournament. But then I think what really stands out is that so many of these players come back. Maya Smalls, I think everyone agrees, is the best player in the conference. She's back. You look at someone like Kayla Cooper-Williams, leading shot blocker, coming back. They lose Ania Young and Logan Reynolds. And we mentioned how important Logan is in so many different areas, statistically speaking. But it's also important to note that somebody like Madison Green, a freshman point guard, has been phenomenal and probably will be able to fill in that role pretty well. And they've got everyone else continuing to develop. I think they've got Kiki Jefferson as a freshman coming in who scored like 2,000 points or something in high school in Pennsylvania. Casual. So, I mean, they've, yeah, they've got just more recruits that are great coming in. So I think next season, as crazy as that is, next season might even be more exciting than this season. Oh, with, without a doubt. It's kind of like what we were saying all year with football, how football was right. such a junior-heavy team that every time we're like, wow, they're really good this year, but think about next year. And same with this women's basketball team. Wow, they're really good this year, prop CAA favorites. But think about next year. So many juniors on this team. Almost all, I think, t- their top four players, scoring-wise, are juniors. Right, and that's, I mean, it just brings so much talent back. I think next year overall has a chance to be one of the better years across the board for JMU Athletics. Men's basketball is going to have a lot of guys returning. Not that they're playing at the highest level right now. But (laughs) they have a lot of guys returning. Yeah. Lacrosse seems to have built something really solid. Softball is going to lose Megan Good. But I think just scrolling through the roster right now, I think she's the only senior. So they should. Yeah. They should still be a really good team. And I think that they'll be a competitive team, probably an NCAA tournament team. You look at it, women's basketball, football is going to be a national championship contender. There are going to be a lot of NCAA tournament teams next year, I believe, across the board for JMU Athletics. And that's big time for them. Just like looking ahead, like huge, big, yeah. big picture. It's going to be huge. Right, right. Because just on the national level, if you're able to get teams in so many different programs that make the NCAA tournament, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, people keep hearing the name. And they're like, what? <laughs> exactly. I've heard that before. Who's yeah, JMU? Who's that? Yeah, so, I mean, that, that stands out quite a bit, at least to me. And I think that Sean O'Regan's building something special. It's going to be exciting to watch women's basketball the rest of the way this year and into next year. But I guess and we'll – for the rest of his career. Yeah, because he's, he's got a long way to go in terms of his, his basketball career. Yeah, we might see him depart kind of like Kenny did. He'll win so much at JMU. Right. There's really nothing left to win and then – Go on to the next place. No doubt. All right, switching gears to men's basketball. I know I have a lot of thoughts on this. 
They're nine and thirteen overall, two and seven in the CAA, which is dead last in the conference. Oh and two Good. last, oh and two last weekend. Yeah, they're really going against your your preseason prediction here. Hey, hey, hey! Everyone <laughs> makes the tournament. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> what are your thoughts on last weekend's game and then this team moving forward? I know we'll get into a few specific questions, but what do you think about last week and they lost uh, Hofstra Thursday and then Northeastern on Saturday? When was our last podcast? This was after the Towson win. Yeah, I think they're zero and four, right? Since our or zero and three, something like that. Zero and four. I think. Yeah, I think they're. Yeah, because we recorded Wednesday the sixteenth. I feel like going so five. They proceeded, then, well, then they proceeded to lose to Delaware. They lost to Drexel. Yeah, they lost okay. to Hofstra and North. Okay, yeah, yeah. That North. That's all I can say. Just, just sounds out of my mouth because, like, you know, I, I. There's nothing I can say. I I just don't know the talent. I feel like the talent's there. The potential is there. I just don't know what's missing. Maybe we're all just overhyping the talent. I don't know. But I really believe that this is a very talented team with Darius and Stucky and Matt and Dwight Wilson and Devel Phillips. Like, I think they're talented. Yeah, I know. That's an interesting thought, too. Because, like, people always say that they are talented. And it's a good question of whether they are. And I think I'm inclined to agree that I, they're, I don't think they're the most talented team in the conference. But they, there's no reason this roster should be last in this. There's yes. no reason. I think they're a – this might be me just overhyping them like I do. But I think they're a top third team, a lower end of that top third. But I think they're a top third team in this conference. I th- Yeah, I think that you have Northeastern, to me, Hofstra, and the College of Charleston are my three that sort of stand out. But they beat the College of Charleston at home even though they are two and seven. So In a convincing fashion. Right, and Northeastern hasn't looked great. I think they're six and three in conference, but they haven't looked maybe as much as good as they were expected this season. Hofstra looks really good, and then you've got like Hofstra's scary. I think Delaware's tied for second. JMU shouldn't be worse than Delaware. They just shouldn't be worse than Delaware. It, and and the way they lost to Delaware, like the the final that sixty nine. Well, sorry, let me let me do it properly. The seventy six <laughs> to sixty nine. Fine. I I always side note sidebar. I always mess up scores when I just talk them because I read them from the JMU sports website right, and it's listed with JMU the, yeah. score first. So it just messes me up every time, but the 67 set, no 76. Oh my gosh. That intramural <laughs> game took a lot out of it. 76, 69 loss is a lot closer than it really was. Cause it was a late comeback attempt. It sounds like we're saying that every game. A late comeback <laughs> attempt that fell just short. Right. It makes the games look a lot closer. I, I feel because right. Northeastern, what was that game? They were down a twenty point game with four minutes left. Right. It was a comeback effort that fell just short. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think we say that all the time. Because you're right. They were down I think they trailed against Delaware for like thirty nine minutes and forty seconds. So basically the entire game. Like Delaware scored twenty seconds in the game and then led the rest of the way. So Good. when you have something like that, it's it's those are losses are so much worse than if it's like a back and forth battle and they just get you late on a shot or two. Like, no, they they just beat them for 40 minutes, like into a pulp. And then they hit a few shots late trying to make it close. But for me, the big thing that stands out is I'm I'm I wrote a story in this Virginia Sports News and I'm just kind of tired of go the, check it out. www.jmusportsnews.com. Boom. But I'm so tired of the excuses. 
like from everyone. It's from sometimes the coaching staff, sometimes the fans, sometimes media members. This idea that they're losing games because of like bad breaks. So Hofstra on Thursday, they hit like a 90 foot heave, which was <laughs> insane. That was amazing. Didn't even hit backboard, which I don't know how that's physically possible, but whatever. The guy does it. They go up nine instead of six <laughs> at halftime. And then it's, there was talk that like the momentum change caused JMU to lose. And I was like, JMU ended up cutting the deficit down to six in the first six minutes of the second half. So if they did lose momentum, they got it right back, but still ended up losing. I don't think they lost to Hofstra because of momentum. I think they lost to Hofstra because Hofstra's a much better team. Yeah. Right Foreman and Pemberton smoked them. Exactly. And then against Northeastern, they're down 20. And then there's a late call. They've got a chance to go down only five with like 50 seconds left. There's a minor push in the back that probably could have been let go, probably could have been called. Doesn't matter. It's right in front of the ref. Gets called a second over the back. And people were saying that it was a phantom call. It was completely made up. It, I mean, it happened. It could have been not called. But it's stuff like that where like they're down 20 and people are like, ah, oh, tough call. Well, it's like, were the refs, the refs put them down 20? Like, I just don't think that's a fair excuse. And even with that phantom call, there was a missed, missed layup right after that right. by JMU that still would have kept them in the game, but they missed. Exactly. And at that point, even if they do make it, they cut it, I think, to, yeah, to five with 50 to seconds five. left. And as I wrote in the thing, Northeastern has two of the top eight individual free throw shooters in the conference, including, I think it's Roland who scored, he hit like eight threes in that game. Eight of 12. Yeah. Eight of 12. He shoots 90% from the line. So what's to say that the guy who wasn't on fire from three gets the ball, gets fouled, they're in the double bonus and buries two, and then it goes back to seven, and JMU misses a shot, and the game's over. Like, that's more realistic than JMU completing the comeback. So that- I, think, I think fans and media like the, the former argument because that's not putting any blame on JMU. That's putting the blame right. on the refs. You know, like, yes, that is probably what would have happened if that was not called. But we don't know that. So right. Our argument can go all the way fully under the refs. They're our scapegoat. Right. We don't have to blame anyone in the men's basketball program. And I, th- I think that's where the, the discord is kind of. For sure. And then the next thing that we have on our outline here is this has been a lot of talk about how Lewis Rose is such a nice guy. And even today in the O'Neill's press He's conference, a nice guy. he is. He was so open about sort of the pressure and fans wanting him to win and sort of how that affects his job security and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think that people have talked about how it makes it harder to criticize him. And I think that's definitely a fair point. I also think that if you're a media member, you should be a little more willing to be critical, not necessarily of Roe the person, but of just sort of questioning, you know, what's the plan moving forward? Because the team hasn't, yeah. hasn't won enough games. And I think that's fair. I, and fans, if fans want to sort of defend him because he's a really nice guy, I think that's fine too. But if you're a media member and you're getting paid to cover the team, you also you need to ask questions that are, a little more than when Lewis Rowe says that the team's battling, which the team is battling. I think you can see it numerous times. They're playing really hard, but is, is Northeastern not battling? Is Hofstra not battling? Well, Everybody's battling. And are, are you battling for a full 40 minutes? Right. Or right. are you battling for the second half after you're down? Like there are just times it seems like they come out of the gates, whether it be the first or second half, because we've seen it both sides. They just seem lethargic. Like they just seem like, 
they aren't ready to go right. at certain points. They get down 20, and then all of a sudden something sparks, and they're like, okay, we got to hit three threes. We're going to cut it real quick, and then we're going to give our fans hope, and then a phantom call. We're going right. to another phantom call. And I'm not expecting the questions to like pin Lewis Rowe into a corner or be like super yeah. antagonistic, but I think it's fair to ask, especially when some of the – after some games, I know he talks about how the team loses focus and kind of lets up. And then other games, he talks about how they're battling really hard. So is it a game-to-game sort of switch between battling really hard and, and letting up? Is it just within games that happen? Like, it seems like two conflicting reasons for losses. And I feel like it's a fair question to be like, well, what's going on? And how do you guys improve it? And what's the process? And he might not want to reveal what his plan is or anything like that, which is fine. But I just think it's crazy that nobody's asked, like, how do you start winning games aside from battling? Because battling isn't working. Yeah. I have a kind of a follow-up question. Well, before answering the question of is it hard to comment on Rope because he is nice. Yes. Do you, well, kind of two questions. First, I'm going to start with, do you think this team has kind of regressed? Because it seemed like last season when they lost a lot of games, don't get me wrong, but they were losing a lot of close games at the buzzer, like four points here and there, those types of games. And now this season, there haven't been as many of those types of games. Yeah, you have the Elon game, the double OT game against UNCW, but then this four-game skid, they've kind of been beaten, like not close game, beaten. Do you think this team has regressed a little? It seems like they kind of have. And I think last year at times they were – competitive and they sort of understood how young they were and I think now there's a little bit of like okay well we're a year older and it seems like the same result every single time and I think that some of it has to be mental at this point it's got to kind of wear on you when you start 4-0 and now you're 5-13 and since then you're struggling you can't win conference games you're last in the conference the fan attendance seems to kind of be dwindling I know it boosted up against Northeastern but some of that is probably Signetti talking at halftime so, I, I mean, it's just kind of tough for this team to to find a way, like, when is it going to get better for them? Because they're clearly, you know, they're, I'm sure they're doing their best and giving everything they have. It's just not working. Yeah. And but, yeah, it's, I would say they, they probably regressed a bit, it seems like, the last few weeks. And second question. <clears throat> so, if Roe doesn't get fired this year, like, something happens – and he doesn't get fired this year. Do you think then he has then a guaranteed almost two more years? Because I personally think that they wouldn't want to fire him and have a new coach usher in the UBT, what it, the Union Bank and Trust Center. Yeah, that's an interesting thought because a lot of people seem to be like thinking, I've heard some rumblings that it would people say that they would give him one more year and then they would get a new guy. And I kind of agree with you that I'm not sure they want a new coach for the first year of the, the new arena. I think that it'd be interesting. and could bring a storyline, but it's also kind of risky yeah. to say we've got this huge new thing and a new coach. We don't really know what's happening. So I think that if they turn it around and finish closer to 500 and maybe win a game or two in the conference tournament, I think that he bro probably stays and I think that they give him a chance because he does have some good recruits coming in. He returns a lot of guys, and I think they say, you know what, let's see if we can get over the hump next year. He works really hard. He's a great representative of JMU off the court. Yeah, Good guy, cares about the university. 
So I could definitely see them if they kind of turn it around. But if it keeps going in the same direction, they don't seem to improve. They lose early in the conference tournament. I think Bourne makes a move. That's just my thought is that he kind of wants somebody that's going to usher in the new arena with, with wins. Um, but the issue there is that, you know, he, who are they yeah. going to get? Like, like, who are they going to get? This program, the arena makes it great, but they're not that attractive. They're not paying Roe as much as many of his CAA counterparts. So unless they up the salary or, or sell something, I don't, I'm not sure who they're going to get that's a dramatic upgrade over somebody that cares about the university a lot and has done a pretty good job recruiting. They're not winning enough games, but, I mean, is, is there an obvious upgrade? There isn't, and also then looking on the horizon, it seems like the sun is rising on the horizon. Like, the recruits that are coming in, it is still a young team. It right. seems like the light is right there at the end of the tunnel. We just have to get through the darkness right now, as cliche as that is. Yeah, that's the other thing that's that's worth noting, is that sometimes – you got to kind of realize where you are and that, you know what, maybe this program isn't an elite program right now. And maybe that means you trust Roe for another couple of years. And it kind of depends on, on what you're thinking, what's going on. The issue to me is that they sort of haven't seemed to make obvious improvements. And the other thing is there's a lot of talk about like, well, Lewis Roe is learning how to become a head coach. And I think some of that's true, but also who's he learning from? He's the head guy. What are his assistants teaching him? I like, I'm not, following that logic at all like if he's a head coach and none of his assistants like have tremendous experience they're all relatively young who's teaching him is there like a mystical guy out there is there like a convocation center fairy that is like hiding under the bleachers and i mean i just don't understand where that logic comes from like people are making up these things where it's like the players are learning and the coach is learning. It's like, well, the players are learning from the coach, and the coach is learning from who? Like, those should be the questions that, that people are asking and fans are wondering, and instead it's just like, well, they're young, so they well, that's, That one doesn't make sense to me. There's a number of things that don't make sense to me. The rotation's really interesting. Like, one of the excuses people talked about, I don't think they said that Jamie would have beaten Hofstra if DeBell Phillips had played, but he didn't play, and people were questioning it. And then he played against Northeastern. He played seven minutes, had three fouls, no points, no shots, no assists, no blocks, no steals, no rebounds. Yeah, that – I just don't get how him playing against Hofstra would have been a 17 – I mean, it's well, just crazy. He's also had a very, very underwhelming season. Right. Like, so I – this was my thinking coming into this season. I thought – Stucky was going to be Stucky, the Stucky we saw the the first three quarters of the season last year. Then I thought Matt was going to make a dramatic improvement. Maybe not dramatic, but a solid improvement from year one to year two. And I thought Devell was going to be a really good big man. I thought he was going to be one of the CAA's best because he showed flashes last season of his athleticism. But none of that has come true. Stucky is Stucky. Matt's made an improvement, but not a huge improvement. Darius has made an amazing improvement, but Devell has regressed. Dwight has made a great improvement, but he's one guy. Like he's right. one forward. The the team's three best players are guards. And right. arguably their fifth best player is a guard in Deshaun Parker. Right. Smith hasn't played. 
Alex Schultz, love him. He was my resident back when he was a freshman. Yeah. Love him. But he's not playing. I don't I don't <laughs> know about Devin Flowers. He's got, I think, zero PT this season. Oh, he's had six minutes is his season high in minutes uh, at Fordham. But, like, right. this team doesn't have big men. I the, And I – I don't know where I'm, I was going with this, but Devell's contributions have been negligent, and I think he right. wouldn't have made that impact in Hofstra. I think he's just a fan favorite, but I, I respect Roe for benching a senior like that because of what he thought of lack of energy. That's one of my favorite moves that he's done all year, the, honestly. I think, I think I, it kind of – I think it showed the lineup at the same time, a kind of a, a – yeah, we're losing. Yeah, we're on a, at the time a three-game losing streak or what would have been a two-game losing streak. But right. I still want you guys out there trying your hardest. And this is a senior. This is his last season. I'm benching him. You guys listen. Look. Exactly. I, I mean, I have no doubt that Rose giving is all. I don't know if his all is going to end up being enough in the long run. But I do think that if you've got somebody that is supposed to be a senior leader and seemed like in the postgame press conference that Phillips wasn't really giving energy in practice that Rowe expects. And if you're not doing that, then you don't play. I think that's a, a fair thing. And then sort of switching gears, another excuse that's kind of drives me a little crazy is Matt Lewis has kind of had a rocky year, and there's the idea that it's like a sophomore slump. I don't think a sophomore slump's a thing. Not. I think that's like a made – it's a made-up thing that people say because I don't know when that become, became popular, but it's like this idea that he's all of a sudden worse. It's like some of his shot selection is worse, but I don't know that, that – what does that have to do with him like being in college for another he's... year? And then what about – what about Dwight Wilson? Where's his sophomore slump? What about Darius Banks and Zach Jacobs? Well, They're sophomores. Like, it's a made-up thing. With that, the whole sophomore slump thing, he's averaging almost five more minutes this season than he did last season. And a lot of those minutes that he got last season were near the tail end. So he's consistently playing right. almost entire <laughs> games. He's playing 36 minutes on average. He's 300 minutes away from hitting last season's total. So there's a few, well, not a few more, but he's going to break what he did last season. But then looking at his statistics, he does, you could argue a quote unquote slump, but it's just barely, if anything, he's the exact same as last season. He's just more of a leader now. And that's why I would say he's made a improvement in his game, but yeah, he's he, his statistics. He shot 37 percent last year. He's shooting 36 percent this season from three, 33 percent last season, 29 percent this season. Free throws, 80, 79 rebounds. He's better in rebounds. He's better in assists per game. Um, turnovers. He's a little bit more this season, but he, he handles the ball more. He's playing the one guard more. Right. Just exactly. Like, looking at it, he's pretty much the same. There isn't really a slump. He just hasn't done what we thought he was going to do. And granted, I per- like talking about myself, I may have thought he'd he'd improve more. I I kind of too much expectations. Right, and I think that some of it too is that now that he's starting more games, last year he only started fifteen to thirty two games that he yeah. played. Is it co- it sort of, I guess, puts a bigger spotlight on his flaws and sort of shows his weaknesses more just because he's having to do a little bit more in the offense. But, I mean, he's still playing at a reasonably high level. And as you mentioned, the thing that's insane, 
I don't think you can play a guy 36 minutes a game and expect him to be good. Like, that's insane. He's had multiple games this year where he's played 40 minutes or over. The Citadel went to overtime, played 40 minutes. Oral Roberts went to overtime 41 minutes. UNCW, the kid played okay. 50 minutes of basketball, Since? which doesn't seem – that's what is that, a three-overtime game? Double. Double. So what, did he play the he entire game? He played the entire game. But that you can't do real that. Real quick, his minutes per game in conference play, 38.4. You have Pinkert on the bench. You have Urbach who came in against – I think that was Hofstra he came in against and played. He hit a couple you, shots. You even have Greg Jones and Zach Jacobs. Like yeah, you, can you can't play, play him. You can that play way. a two forward for a little bit and move. Then wait, let, let me think. You could play Jacobs and Jones or Jacobs and Dwight down low, and right, then you can right. move Darius to the two. Deshaun stays to the one and stuck at the three or Dar- Like right. You, I, I don't know. The, the, You've got Deshaun in there, too. I mean, you've got a few different options to give Lewis breathers, but I just don't think it's it's fair. Like, when we talk about Matt Lewis playing a little bit worse, it's like, I think we're asking too much of him. I don't know that you can expect a guy to play night in and night out every single game while he's also taking classes and doing all these things. Like, it's so hard to keep up with your body when you've got that much going on as a student-athlete. You've got to give him rest. And that, to me, that's a coaching thing. And that's a question that I think should be asked. It's like, why are you playing Matt Lewis 38 minutes a game in conference play? Is that excessive? Can he handle it? What does he do to stay in that sort of shape? Like, because that's yeah. hard. How does he do that? Are you going to play Matthew Orbach more? Do you go to big lineups more? Just, I don't know. I feel like that's something that kind of has to be answered. Because Matt Lewis, when he is on, he's a really good player. When you've got him, Stucky, and Darius all playing at a high level, it's a pretty good basketball team. But if you're running them into the ground every game and they're exhausted and have nothing left to give – well, then it's kind of hard to expect him to really do anything relevant. On a complete side – well, not side note, kind of feeding into it, I guess. And Zach Jacobs hit a couple threes in the game and showed you can kind of stretch the floor. So I would he, – He's really good. I would good. not mind seeing his minutes per game average at 11.5 kind of creep up a little bit. And I'd like to see him be the sixth man. Yeah, I think he's somebody that definitely needs more minutes. Because, yeah, you look at it, it's <laughs> – Matt Lewis, 38.4 minutes per game in conference play. Stucky Mosley, 35.8. Darius Banks, 33. Deshaun Parker, 31. Those are, those are basically all four guards playing 30 minutes a game. Zach Jacobs is, yeah, 11.5. Put him in. <laughs> Let him play. I mean, he's somebody that you got to have in there. Didn't he? Have, he had a six-block game, He had a right? six-block game against Towson. Last game, he had a yeah. career high and three pointers made. Granted, it was only two, but let's not focus on that. Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's shown that he's he's grown his game. I mean, and, and people were talking about not having a sophomore slump. Jack Zach Jacobs is right up there. Exactly, and I think that that's something at this point. Like, what you're dead last in the conference. If Coach Rowe. If he's learning, continuing to grow, which I do think it's true, but it's a matter of like where he's learning from. I think some of it's kind of just on him, I guess, to teach himself a little bit. But why not get really creative with the lineup? Like nothing is going right. You're losing most of your games. Like the only thing that matters at this point is finding ways to like be good by the end of the season and try to show some signs of life. So why not play Zach Jacobs more? Why not play Matthew Werbach? Why not give a bunch of dudes minutes, play like a 10-man rotation, let Matt Lewis play 
a little bit less, and then everybody has more energy. They're playing at a high level, and you're also developing the rest of your bench. Like that seems like why not just like go for it? I this is why we're not coaches, I guess. <laughs> it's just I feel like they gotta they've gotta shake something up. I mean, they're twenty nine and fifty eight in the last two plus seasons under row. They're really struggling. They're on. I mean. The last few years, I think they won. It was like six conference games and seven conference games, or something like that. And right now, they're two and seven. I mean, they're in danger of, you know, winning four or five. Which that, in terms of a lot. And they have. I'll look up the exact like ESPN ranking of schedule, but it's one of the easiest schedules in college basketball. And they're seven and thirteen against Division One teams, and that's something that I just feel like it can't really be ignored because they do have some pieces that I think are. Are interesting, yeah. So three hundred forty-first hardest schedule out of three hundred fifty-three. Like, it's easy. Huh. So I think that's disappointing. And then the other thing that we had talked about this sort of offline, I think, over text, is when do you think they're going to win next? Uh, uh, looking at the schedule, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think I said it over text, or maybe it was even last podcast. Elon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's second to last game of the season. If you don't have a schedule up, February 28th, they've got nine games left. That'd be eight out of nine. So they go at College of Charleston this Lost. Thursday, at UNCW Lost. Saturday, at Lost. Towson, maybe. Lost. Maybe they can sneak that one it's out. On away, it's an away game. Home. <laughs> they haven't won a true road game Charlotte. since it was real. I think it was yeah. Charlotte. It was. Mid-November. Yeah, it was. November 16th. Yeah, it's You're been, right. You know, over over two months. So they had that. And then they have on Valentine's Day, maybe there's a little love in the air. They they play Drexel from hey, the city of brotherly love. That can be a story. Real line. quick though, that February fourteenth game, I'll be commentating it. So they might oh they yes. might actually win that because they've only ever lost one You've got some game good luck. when I commentate. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. How many games have you done? I think they're four and one or three and one when oh, I wow. commentate. It's insane they don't schedule uh, anymore. I tried to tell Kurt last season. I tried to get all of Aspen. <laughs> I was like, guys, send me to the CAA tournament. I will commentate <laughs> everything. They didn't. That's that's insane. You wouldn't even have had to do it on a network. Just give you a headset <laughs> plugged into nothing. Plugged put in. you on press row. <laughs> yeah, put you on press row. You're just screaming. You got hands in the air. People are like, who is this kid? Huh. All right, so they, they got the February 14th Drexel game, which we are circling in as a win because you're commentating <laughs> it. Then they got February 16th home against Delaware. That's a game maybe they can yeah. get. Then they do at Northeastern at Hofstra. Those could be really – those could be gross. And then it's home against Elon, home against William & Mary, and then the, the CA tournament. It looks like they will be playing on March 9th, barring a miracle, in that first round. I'm assuming they'll probably be 7, 8, 9, or 10 unless something crazy changes. I, I mean, I, they could scoop the one of the Drexel Delaware games, but I really yeah. don't see it. Like, they have such a tough schedule now: four at home, five yeah. away. I think what the worry is is you've got things like the develop Phillips benching, which I do think sends an interesting message and potentially a positive one. But it's also like, all right, we've kind of got a little bit of stress going on now. We've lost four in a row after getting the record back to 500 at nine and nine. 
Now it's nine and thirteen. We're last in the conference. We're going to the at College of Charleston this week. I mean, if they start to really pile the losses up, I wonder how much that wears on the mental psyche because it's got to be tough when you're busting your butt and the results just aren't there. See, yes, but at the same time, I think the way the CAA has their tournament set up, I think it it it's kind of at the same time. Uh, well, we make it like even if we're going to pile up the losses, like we know right. we're a good team. We know we still have a shot at winning the tournament, you know, like maybe if just there's no possible shot at a tournament, then you start to like hang your head. But I think with the way the right. tournament's set up, it's just kind of like, oh, well, we're going to make it and we could just run the table. Who knows? I think they could after they struggle through a little bit. And then the last two games, Elon and William Mary both at home. I think they might get like a second wind where they kind of feel a little bit motivated. I wouldn't be stunned if they got out of the first round of the CAA tournament just because they've got the talent to do it. But I'd be I'd be really surprised if they got two wins in the tournament could, or, or went deep. Could you imagine them beating <laughs> Elon and William and Mary and finishing the season on a six-game win streak to win the CAA title? That'd be nuts. They'd have to win four games to win the conference tournament. If I'm not mistaken, they have never won four consecutive games against Division One opponents under Lewis Rowe. So I'm not going to – and that's in what? What is that? It's in like 87 games, so I'm not going to put any money on that. But I guess you never know. March is crazy. But they need to change something fast. If I were them, I would just go crazy with the lineups because we suggested – they're obviously listening to us. Yeah. Because we suggested, I think you yep. did, the small lineup. And then I was like, this is a great idea. And they've been rolling with the small I lineup. I really like, like, I know it. I think they've won one game with it. I think they're one. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, it doesn't work. But... but I really like that lineup. I think it's now the question of who Same. the sixth man is. I think it's, there I don't go. think it's Devell. I think it's Zach Jacobs. I think it's Greg Jones. And I think Devell is yes. the eighth man. Yes. Okay. So, Coach Rowe, if you're listening, if you're learning, you're coaching from us on this podcast, if we're the ones, the fairy in the Convocation Center, Zach Jacobs, get him some minutes. Matthew Erbach, I want to see Why? him worked in. He played well when oh. he came in. He had eight minutes against Hofstra. He looked okay, great. Never mind. Just give him a couple minutes to give Matt some stuff. Let's get Matt an extra Gatorade during his breaks. Well, I don't know if that's scientific. What, what but... I want to see is like Matt getting pulled with like a minute 30 or two minutes left before yes. half. Because He'll Stuff. still be having a lot of minutes, but he, that's what a lot of coaches do across the across college and in the NBA. Like you pull them right before half, and they all of a sudden have a thirty-minute break rather than a two-second break. Exactly. Yeah, you can give them a big break there, and then also in, in front of like media timeouts. If you have a stoppage with like it happens every four minutes, so if you got something like four minutes forty-five seconds left yeah. and a half. Maybe you pull him yeah. for a minute, and then he comes out, gets a little extra rest. So I think stuff like that could be strategic and good. Because I mean, it's hard to give up on the team completely, just because I, I, they're not. I just have a hard time believing that they're truly the worst team in the conference. Oh, I agree. Like they've played like it, but I just have a hard time thinking that. Like I think they're a better team overall than Towson. I think they can beat UNCW. I think they can beat Elon. William and Mary's a team. I think they can compete with Delaware's a team they can beat. There, I mean, there are very few teams that I think they can't beat, especially on a neutral floor in the conference tournament. The issue is that they just haven't 
done it. They haven't been consistent enough, and I don't think they've really found a sweet spot with mixing in lineups and adjusting to different defenses and stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to completely give up at this point. There's not really – they can't really get that much worse. So it just it gets better. Here's the segue. They're six and four. We talked about their their four home games left, five away games left. Six and four at home, two and eight, two and eight away. You know what I really think is the reason for their solid home record? The D three schools. <laughs> oh, I was gonna go with the Duke dogs on the floor. Oh no! All right, I guess I guess yeah. we <laughs> I guess we have to <laughs> talk about this. Oh no! All right, we'll stop. Stop ragging on the men's basketball team. We'll start ragging on the floor, or at least I will. So, yeah, I guess it was on Twitter. I think somebody tweeted at us because I had tweeted, like, the Jamie men's basketball record. And I think it was, like, Drew Brittle or Drew Biddle. I can look that up. But he, t- he tweeted something like, all right, like, they're depressing. Here, let's get to the real meat of the issue here. Let's talk about something important. This floor and these Duke Dog heads, are they coming with us to the, to the new arena? <laughs> or what do we do here? So I'm I'm very anti the giant Duke Dog logos, but I want to hear your thoughts. You seem like you enjoy the dogs. Well, I I assume they're going to get a new floor for the new arena because the the floor we currently have has the old logo on yeah. it. So I assume they'd have to get a new right. one. I love the Duke Dog, but I also just love anything that's different. So like I love Boise State's oh, God. blue field. <laughs> I oh, love no. Eastern no. Washington's red fields. Oh, that's a hot take. Oh. I, I, I love weird fields. I loved. I don't know if uh, TD Garden still has it, but the Boston Gardens parquet or however you pronounce it floor that just different floor. I love it. Give it to me all the time. If that means giving me two Duke dogs, give me two Duke dogs. If that means giving me J- Jimmy's Jimmy Madison's signature. Give me Jimmy's signature. That would be okay with the signature. The signature is kind of cool. Yeah, signatures are. But dope. I think that Eastern Washington's football program should be disbanded just because of that field. Whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, that's how bad the field is. The red field is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Boise State's all let slide. The red field is terrible. Uh, Could you imagine a JMU purple I would field? Stop watching. A gold field no. of pure gold made of gold. Just every bit. Did I mention? And I hope gold? they have good athletic trainers. There'd be a lot of a lot of injuries going on. <laughs> no, but I can't stand the Duke. It's so crowded. It's like I'm not a fan. I would love a James Madison signature and maybe a like a Jamie logo somewhere in there. But I'm saying keep it simple, keep it classy, just a beautiful hardwood, and you're good to go. I guess, but I, don't you want something no, different? No, I want to <laughs> just make it look good. It's. I wonder if if part of it is like how the teams play because I I don't notice it as much. I think when the women are playing because I'm like focused on the game. But when JMU men's when they're getting smoked and they're down twenty at home and there's like these giant Duke dogs like laughing at you, it's like uh, they gotta fix this. Well. What I also really like about the Duke Dogs is this is going back a couple of years, but when the CAA tournament was for the that women's was, cool. was at JMU, like they that you cut they cover up the JMU logo with CAA logo, but they couldn't cover up the two Duke Dogs. I guess that's a positive. So you still knew whose floor it was, <laughs> like not like you can <laughs> right, tell right. from everywhere yeah. else, but <laughs> the rest but of the like, arena. I, I think it. I don't. I just really. I just like different. Like. 
the hardwood floors have been done. Every college has them. Why not like spruce it up? Maybe we could get a James Madison head. I would on do that. It, like right okay, at center court. If they did the head, I'd be all in. James Madison head. I'll or compromise like, for that. Or like the Duke dog head itself, like our secondary logo, that that Duke dog head as center court rather than just the James. Here, let me try a transition here. What about a Jimmy Moreland head? Um, if he gets speaking drafted of, in the first round. Speaking of Jimmy yes. Moreland, see how I did that? We just kind of like slipped that in. We <laughs> sort of figured out how this podcast thing works. One Jimmy to another Jimmy. Oh, that's good. That was better than Jimmy Moreland head. <laughs> so Moreland played in the Senior Bowl this weekend. So he's now played in a couple of Senior Showcase games. He looked good. He had a nice tackle at the goal line, tackle for loss. It seems like his draft stock's still rising up. I've seen um, a reporter for the 49ers web zone. I'm not sure what the web zone is, but they're verified on if Twitter. If they want to sponsor us. A- if you guys want to sponsor us, go ahead. We'll add them in our, <laughs> yeah. in our uh, episode preview. But they have 18,500 followers. But okay. they have a reporter who's very like into him, very into Jimmy more, I almost said James Madison. Where is the article? I'm trying to find the – oh, I I have it on my Jimmy Moreland document that has every single link to all the tweets about him. <laughs> nice. So I can pull it for the possible um, yes. piece we'll have oh, on yeah, we've got, later we've on. We've got some good stuff coming. That's going to be a good – quick side note. That's going to be a fun article. We're going to try to put it out um, – well, we are going to not try. I should speak in definitives like I do for <laughs> men's basketball. Um, we're going to put it out on around draft time about just his stock and everything. Senior Bowl standouts to watch out for by the 49ers web zone. Tweet, uh, Matt Barr, that's his name, Matt Barr. He's big on Jimmy. He's um, has an interview with him tonight or just finished one up and is writing like a feature on oh, it nice. or something. So he thinks he'd fit really well into the cornerback duo of Richard Sherman. And who's their other guy? Richard Sherman and Akilo Witherspoon. So keep an eye out for the 49ers. I know the Lions really liked him too, but his draft stock, undrafted free agent to probably a round four, possibly a third round pick. Yeah, that's what it seems like. He's kind of in that range. He's someone that – Brings that speed, quickness. I think people have talked about him in the return game because he's tough to bring yeah. down. So, I mean, he's he's awesome. 61 return yards in the East-West Shrine yeah. game. One tackle in that game and a pass defended. Uh, pass – no, not a pass breakup, but three tackles, one for loss. He's He had himself a senior showcase. I'm excited to see where he's going to go. Like, Also, I, I love any tweet about Jimmy Moreland because mm-hmm. then – We'll just tweet it from the sports news. <laughs> we'll do the famous quote tweet. Oh, my God. That's our strategy, man. That's the role. It gets so many likes. People love it. I'll be like, Jimmy Moreland covered Hunter Renfro, and people are, like, eating that stuff up. Well, he he, he did get burned back. Yes. Did you see oh, the clip yeah. of him getting burned? He cooked him on the one. Well, I, was, I, I showed my friend that, and I was like, well, that's kind of what Jimmy was known for mm-hmm. at JMU. Like, he's a great r- corner, and – everyone's watching his tape and I'm surprised it hasn't come out more, but he gets burned a lot. Like if you head fake him, 
uh, like he Hunter Renfro, all he really did was fake to the inside with like a half jab step and cut out and Jimmy bit real hard on it and got burned. But I mean, Jimmy was also the, he's the all-time leader interception. So I guess it pays for him. Right. Some of it's definitely a little risk reward with what he does. He's definitely going to be a a little bit of a project. You want to make sure he develops and yeah, because he does have those times where he gets burned or he has a pass interference or something like that. But 18 interceptions, six of them he took back. He's blocked a bunch of kicks. So, I mean, you've got enough there that it, he probably makes sense in the mid rounds, but yeah, that's probably also his size. And when he does get burned and have those miscues are probably why he's, you know, a third, fourth, fifth round pick. Yeah. Anything else on Jimmy? No, it works. That's good. Beautiful. Um, anything else you put, I just put lacrosse and Shelly Claus, Shelly, coach Shelly. Um, did you hear her comments at the O'Neill's press conference? No. Oh, my God. I love her. She's such a great coach because she said, we feel disrespected. Like, I really – I highly recommend listening to the clip. But she practically said, like, we're the national champions. Why are we not ranked number four? Like, this is disrespectful. Why are we not ranked number one? We're ranked number four. This is disrespectful. Because I think the question was kind of like, you guys had some turnover in your roster. You just won a national championship. How do you motivate the team for this season? She said – well, we're underdogs still. Like, no one respects us. And I was like, oh, my – she's calling out the lacrosse <laughs> world. <laughs> That's a hot take. They lost some talent. They lost. I was actually surprised that they were at number four. I thought they might be a little lower given what they lost. But I think, I think out of respect, the program have to. Yeah, I think they've gained a lot of respect. But I, I guess she's kind of using it as a motivational tool. And then softball, I think they had some polls come out. They went from anywhere from, like, 21 to 23 – I'd be really surprised if they don't improve oh, on yeah. that th- throughout the season because they're going to pitch Megan Good a lot, and they have Odyssey Alexander. Yeah, and so Pete every Burish. they're going to right. So every time they play a CAA team, they're probably going to win. Um, and without a doubt, they're going to. We've said that though about volleyball and basketball. And- I feel more confident in softball. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say they don't lose a conference. Wow, a bold prediction. Gar- I'll guarantee it. Bennett Conlon, personal guarantee. I'm writing this down. Bennett guarantees no CAA loss for softball. Assuming Megan Good is healthy the whole season. Oh no, no, no! You already said it. You didn't. You didn't add that stipulation. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're running the CAA table. They've got some tough non-conference games, but I think if they pick up enough of those and are competitive in those, I think they'll be a top fifteen team throughout much of this I, year. I going to go and win their first ever super regional i can see that also it'd be cool if they could host again that was insane when they hosted where they don't play oh they don't play at home until march 15th yeah they normally do a bunch of weird trips which i guess for them half the time they're going to like california see they go to Clearwater in florida that's nice greenville north carolina tuscan tucson Hmm. i can't believe i just said tuscan (laughs) (laughs) tuscan Huh. Anything I can else? get behind that. No, no, like that's it for another fantastic episode. Oh, it was beautiful. Um, we hope you all enjoy the rest of your what now Wednesday since we're recording yes. new schedule. Oh um, yeah, got me all off. But we record now on Tuesday nights. We'll post Wednesday, so hopefully you're listening on Wednesday. Give you guys some more time to digest this amazing podcast and and know what you're seeing when we go into the weekend of. 
basketball games and other spring sports when we get that season going. Um, but yes, for Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.